0: Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Jane, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening?
1: Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for having me and for doing this conversation on Maladaptive Daydreaming because it's not getting the attention it needs. Um, My name is Jane. I'm a former sufferer of Maladaptive Daydreaming, but these days I have it completely under control and I've been a researcher on the topic and also now I'm an advocate to help get it
0: recognized. So what exactly is maladaptive daydreaming?
1: So it is this ability. Some people are just born with this ability to create these wonderful imaginary worlds in their heads. It's very different from like typical daydreaming that everybody does because that's more fleeting these can be like hours and hours of intense daydreams with like fictional characters and plots. Um, It can go on for years, uh, you name it, right? It it runs the gamut. Uh, That in itself though is not disordered, right? That's a type of daydreaming behavior that I think a lot of artists, a lot of creative people do. It becomes maladaptive when it starts to interfere with your real life functioning, right? So there are some people that, start to prefer these real life, not real life, opposite of real life, start to prepare, prefer these imaginary daydream worlds over their real life, right? And they start to find that they're spending more and more time of it, and they start to feel like they're addicted to it.
0: So there's an addictive aspect, but lot. probably has a lot to do with depression, I would think, that once you exit out of one of these dream worlds or scenarios that you're in, you kind of go back to regular life. It's a little bit less exciting than what your daydream or whatever you were experiencing is. That's kind of how it is for me. Like if I exit out of a scenario that I have, I go into the weird world and I'm like, Dan, I can't just jump off my roof and fly off into outer space or anything. There's none of that. I just thought it was like, oh, I'm going to be a good director if I wanted to ever make a movie or something like that. So there's the creative aspect to it, but I could see where it could interfere with real life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If, if it starts to like get in the way of you succeeding things in real life, it certainly can turn maladaptive. The depression part is interesting because I've heard that from a lot of people. So, you know, I haven't experienced it personally in maybe two decades, but I am talking to people all over the world with maladaptive daydreaming. And that is definitely, I've heard a lot, like these daydreams, we can control in our head, right? We We have total control. Like that's not what we have in real life, right? So when you come out of it, you could absolutely be depressed. But it's not necessarily that the depression has to go along with the daydreaming. What what we found is it coexists with all sorts of of mental health conditions. So it could be depression, but it could be OCD. It could be social anxiety. People on the spectrum are more likely to do it. uh, People with PTSD. So we found that a whole host of mental health conditions might uh, lead to maladaptive daydreaming.
0: Where do you see where do you see the most prevalence like amongst certain disorders I would say,
1: you know it's so it's not fully recognized yet right so we're just starting to to get the research in now right there's one researcher in Israel an Israeli professor who's really like famous for coining the term maladaptive daydreaming and he was in the beginning he was the only one doing research and I had the privilege of doing some research with him um, but now he's got a whole there's a whole team of researchers from around the world. I working. think I know
0: who you're talking about. I'm supposed to be speaking with him, I think, next week.
1: Yeah, Dr. Ellie Somer. Yeah. yeah. Right? Does that sound right? Yeah. So he came up with the term out after daydreaming and really like, was the first researcher to take it seriously. So the research is just really in its infancy. Um, and so I don't think we know yet which disorders have it more. We just know that we've seen it in all of them. He might have more recent research that that can you know maybe answer that more specifically. All I can say is anecdotally, I've seen it with OCD, I've seen it with depression, uh, huge numbers of people on the spectrum. Um, so and then PT and PTSD trauma. I think a lot of people thought initially that it was a reaction to trauma, right? But we've since learned that, yes, trauma, childhood trauma can lead to maladaptive daydreaming, but plenty of people have maladaptive daydreaming who don't have that childhood trauma.
0: Is the PTSD, I don't know how much research is on there, but is that a lot of like what could have happened or maybe something like that, like a scenario? Like I'd have to rethink that it was flashbacks of traumatic stuff from the past. But if you're creating the scenario again, does the scenario play on in a different way? Does it just repeat the same event, like a memory that won't go away? that means certainly some of that
1: but i also and when i'm talking like childhood trauma if you're talking extreme childhood trauma this this need to just escape into a different fantasy world in ever whatever form that works for you um makes a lot of sense and i think dr somers very very first paper which over a decade i don't know maybe even like 15 years ago now he had six people in a his trauma practice because that was his specialty um and they had all had, all engaged in these elaborate fantasies to the point like really extreme. Like I don't think any of them had jobs or friends or relationships. They just really retreated from real life um, into these daydream worlds. And that kind of made sense, right? If you were, if you were in extreme childhood trauma, like this need to escape from real life and go go in a fantasy makes a lot of sense. But what I knew, because my experience, I didn't have those childhood traumas. Um, is that more people, like you didn't have to have the childhood traumas, right? Childhood traumas could lead to that, but all sorts of other things could lead to that as well.
0: Is it like a muscle? Like, can you train it to where, like, I mean, I think if you're doing it from when you're a kid and I've done it, some, I mean, you ask any teacher while I was staring out the window most of the time when I should have been paying attention, um, stay dreaming. but it gets stronger. And what I would have to think is eventually it's, hard to sort out reality a little bit like not saying it's like this kind of delusional thing but it's hard to take back when you're some. it's when it's so intense sometimes you can have like a dream that's really intense it's kind of the same thing but you're awake and then snapping right back into something and it's about finding like what you said the time and place like there's right times to do something like daydreaming and then there's times and it impedes in your life like driving a car
1: exactly oh my god i used to be terrified like driving a car that i would like go into a daydream world but i was such a bad driver and i was so nervous that i was too nervous to daydream so it was okay
0: and if you take the bus you miss your stop
1: oh yes that has definitely happened to me before right you get into these fantasy worlds about whether it's a muscle like i mean i don't know but i certainly think the more you do it it starts like i think of it you know, not very scientific but like our brains are like computers And you can get stuck in a pattern or in a role like, you know, I mean, if I look back to my childhood, I didn't have that kind of trauma, but I definitely had some learning disabilities, some difficulties making friends. I was I was lonely. So I get why I needed to do it as a young child. But what I found is that I was doing better and better in my real life and it didn't go away. And I think that's just because the the pathways in your brain, like as you're doing it, the more and more you do it, I think anything, the more you do, sometimes the harder it is to stop.
0: Do you remember what some of your experiences were like, like some of the daydreams you would have?
1: Oh, yeah. So for me, and this is pretty common, it was all TV shows, right? So I would take my favorite TV shows, um, probably dated myself because I'm, I'm you know, Getting up there now, but like I would take like the Brady Bunch or the Facts of Life, and I would it's not that old, yeah. But um, and I would make you know different character, like different stories. Like I the end, the show would end, and I'd be like, particularly like the Brady Bunch was all reruns by the time I was watching it, and I was like, okay, I've seen these all before. Like why can't they do something new? Um, and so I just started creating new episodes in my head. Um. In recent years, I found fan fiction. Um, I just like, stumbled on it. I didn't know such a thing existed. And I was like, oh my God, like this is kind of what I was doing back then, but not writing it down. Um, and I do wonder if I had written it down, maybe it would have been less addictive because I think while it was in my head, I felt this need to like do it over and over and over again. Um, but I I do hear from people all over the world and television is one is a very popular topic, right? People do take their favorite television shows and create new plots and new characters and all sorts of things.
0: Makes me rethink cosplay a little bit. We have those conventions that happen. I start wondering, is this people being able to live out their fantasy a little bit? Because at this point, I mean, I think everyone daydreams. I don't think there's not a person that doesn't do it, but how intense is it would be a question I would ask. And then also, you know, how many people, like whatever scenarios they have, how many people are successful with it as well, too? I mean, I think a lot of people talk about, I had this idea and I did this. I was like, were you daydreaming? And most of the time I'm talking to a writer, they're talking about staring out a window or something catches their eye and they just get into this world and have to shut off from Everybody, and you know, write it down or do something. Where I'm like, well, there's a huge aspect of creativity to it. I'm just curious why no one ever really accepted it, or it's not part of the criteria.
1: So, I mean, and I, you know, we were talking beforehand. I'm such a strong believer that if you don't, if someone is doing this and they don't think it's affecting their life, then it's not a problem, right? Because that is, you know, I went public with this I don't know over a decade now, and. Uh, in an article I did in the Atlantic. And I started hearing from people like all over the world. One hand, people who are really relieved because they knew they had this problem their whole lives. And it was just, they thought they were the only one. Then I heard from people who are like, oh my God, I did this my whole life. I didn't know it was a problem. And now I think it's, a, you know, do I have a psychological disorder? And I'm like, absolutely not. I think, you know, it's, I mean, my niece um, lived with me for a while. She dated more than I did. But she's an artist, so in no way she did not believe that it hindered her life in any way, right? So if you can find a way to channel it, then it's not maladaptive. Um, but it, like anything, like it's a spectrum, right? Like if you look at alcohol, most of us like can have a few drinks and that's great. But some people like just go off the deep end and it really can ruin their lives. And that's what I see about that daydreaming. Um, also another point you made about everybody daydreams that is so true, but I think like the science, the definitions of daydream have, has created some confusion. So, um, so I'll spend a little bit about that. Most typical daydreaming is a little more fleeting, right? Like you just kinda, I don't know, your mind drifts for a short period of time. It's more likely to be, you know, potentially things in your real life, right, or, you know, maybe a celebrity you have a crush on, or telling your boss off, or, like, kind of wish fulfillment. It's less likely to be, though, taking fictional characters and making stories with them, right? Um, Again, that's not bad. It's just less typical, right? Um, To me, one of the differences, though, is that within more typical daydreaming, if someone interrupts you in the middle of it, you can just snap right out of it, right? And just you know, don't go back to it. You don't care. But if you're talking to someone not after daydreaming, if they're interrupted in the middle, it's frustrating, right? And they feel this need to go back to it. Um, and so I feel like it's quite different from typical daydreaming. And you know, if I could go back in time, I don't even know that I would use the word daydreaming because I think it's what like a, you know. I also was telling you before it's not rec- it's not fully recognized yet. And because it's the word daydreaming, I think a lot of uh, researchers and doctors don't take it very seriously, right? Because they're like, everyone daydreams. There's, you know, it's not a bad thing. To me, this is more like compulsive fantasy, right? It's Which is very difficult, different than your more typical daydreaming. Does that
0: make sense a little bit? Yeah, I would call it alternate scenarios if I'd probably rename it or something like that because I think the daydreaming, it's like much like ADHD, people are trying to rechange the name of ADHD. To, I think it's like Dave or something like that that means a different acronym because there's so much stigma that comes with that word. But I, I would lump this in the same category with ADHD with people not taking it seriously because a lot of people, like when I was in school, was just like, oh, you're a kid, you'll grow out of it or it's all in your head. It's like, well, that's kind of the, the issue. Is like, we got to, you know, but that was, it was never really accepted until relatively recently. And they're getting a lot more research on it. And whenever you talk about like daydreaming or something of that sort, people just think you're being creative and you need to know where to set your boundaries. And it's like, that's true, but depends on the intensity as well. too. I mean, I always hate it when someone interrupts me, if I'm they'll always go like what are you thinking about and i'm like now i gotta go back to the beginning of the plot and show you everything and talk to you about it and walk you through exactly to where i was at and still going with it so it's like i can get where that can be frustrating and that's when it would start impeding on life but you know those escapes i also think are like just essentially important for a person as well too
1: oh yeah for sure like i mean if so look a lot of a lot of us spend a lot of time watching tv or like playing video games or reading books like if you're doing daydreaming instead of that, like that's great, right? It's just when it's when you start to prefer your daydream worlds to real life, there's a problem, right? When it starts to interfere with real life relationships because you just want to go back to your head, to your fictional characters that you control, you know, I've talked to people who failed out a school, who, you know, got fired from jobs because they couldn't they couldn't keep it out of their workplace. So it's it's a spectrum. And when you start to lose that control of it, that's when it can be a problem. Um, a few things though, lose control doesn't mean like you're hallucinating, right? Like I, I had a, someone ask me once, he's like, so does lose control mean you have absolutely no control over what goes into your head? I'm like, no, you're still in control, but it's kind of like, it's the best way to explain it you know, when I'm trying to diet and you put an ice cream sundae in front of me, right? Like, I just can't say no to it, right? It doesn't mean that I'm, you know, I'm hallucinating, but I am i clearly am in control, but it's just the pull is so strong that you can't leave it alone. So I think, again, when it interferes, when you start to prefer it over real life, I think that's a huge warning sign.
0: I'm, this question is not really a question. It's more like different research areas that maybe you, I don't know where you've looked into, but like, is it autopilot? For instance, there's that example of someone goes, I'm just on autopilot. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm on autopilot, but I'm inside my head doing something else. You know what I mean? That the daydreaming aspect. So that's weird because you're still functioning. You're still moving. You're still doing, I guess, what part of your routine is, especially if you're at work, but you might not necessarily be there, like kind of zoned out
1: yeah i mean so for me it's funny because for me you might have like there might have been no overt signs that was maladaptive because i was very high achieving in school and work and and had friends and all of those things for me it was more in a mental exhaustion right because i never felt truly present in the here and now right because i always felt this need like you know okay i'm gonna finish this so i can go back to the daydream right like and I just felt like it was exhausting and really diminishing like the quality of my life. Um, I'll give a really good example. So, you know, so in recent years, I still daydream. It's just completely under control. So, and, and I think I'm a good person to talk about it because I think one of the few people who had it and now have like still daydream, but it's under control. So I really can tell what the difference is. So years ago when I was daydreaming, I remember, you know, colleagues would want to walk home. Um, I live in New York city. So a lot of walking, they'd want to walk, you know, leave work together and and go to the subway. And I would always make excuses to not go with them because I wanted to get back to my daydream. World. Now, like, um, you know, just a couple of months ago, I was engaged in a really good daydreaming as I was walking to meet a friend. Um, but when I got to the restaurant to meet the friend, like absolutely no interest in going back to the daydream, like a hundred percent focused on like the, the lunch, the conversation. And then when that friend wanted to walk back with me, like I was really, really happy. I wanted that. Right. Old me would have been like rushing to the bathroom every two minutes to like, you know, check in on my characters would have been like making excuses. Like I can't walk home with this person because I want to go back to my head. So his ability to really enjoy the present moment, I didn't have for the first 25 years of my life.
0: I think it's ease of access. You know, when you look at like how, easy it is to just be able to lay down and go inside your head and, you know, live in this alternate kind of reality compared to, you know, going and hanging with friends. The friend thing might be fun and you might really appreciate it. I get that all the time. Like if someone wants to go out to a bar, I'm like, I don't want to go out to a bar. I'd rather just like, you know, mindlessly scroll on my phone and just be inside my own head for a little bit. And then you go there and you're having a great time and you tell you like, why did I ever not want to go and do this? But it's that ease of access. I wonder, I mean, how relatively recent is the research trend that's kind of sparking up with it. Like did some of this take off because of the pandemic related? I would have to feel like a lot of it, you know, people being inside their house with nothing to do, boredom would start creating um daydreams a little bit more.
1: Yeah, the research is definitely showing and if you're going to talk to Dr. Somer, um, is showing that it spikes um tremendously during the pandemic, which made a lot of sense. In fact, in the very early days of the pandemic, I actually, for I don't know, months, they are started to feel it come back, and I had almost forgotten what compulsive daydreaming was like. And I was like, I was like, okay, I remember this now. Like to the point where like couldn't even watch a TV show because watching a TV show like would give me ideas for my fantasy world, or reading a book would give me ideas for the fantasy world. And I was like, oh yeah, this is what I used to have. Um I got lucky. For me it was only, you know, in the very, very beginning of the pandemic. Um, but for sure it is absolutely spiked during the pandemic. And I
0: I was going to say, is there any research that shows that maybe they could be deep down achievements or goals that people want kind of like dreams are like sometimes you dream about something you want to do or something like that. But if you're putting yourself in movie scenarios, I do that all the time. Um, and sometimes TV shows and sometimes music stuff for some reason. Um, But I just go, my whole family's music, I'm the only one that didn't pick that up. I'm like, is that something I wanted to accomplish down the road? Or is that something that, so I have to feel like, you know, whatever you're daydreaming about necessarily can't get superpowers unless someone drops you in a vat of whatever. Uh, But I feel like, you know, you get into a point where maybe those are trying to release some inner achievements or some goals that you might want to do.
1: Yeah, you know, everybody's different, but yes, there's a lot of that. Um, I, for one, like I I had a learning disability and some like just muscle, I I found out later in adulthood that I've had autoimmune disease that caused me to be very weak. So a lot of my childhood daydreams, if I put, if they were, if I was in it and not the fictional characters, because I did both kinds, I was like, you know, a star swimmer, a star ice skater, like all things I couldn't do in real life. So for sure. Um, There is an element of that, but everybody's different. Like I know one person who's like, she's just created like generations of fictional characters, right? Like she's just got a soap opera with like, you know, generations, different jobs, different families. Like she's basically writing a soap opera in her head. Um, And so there's no wish fulfillment there because she's not a good name. So it's, it's, wish fulfillment is very common. but it doesn't have to be there. And that's that's kind of a theme with a lot of what I'm saying. A lot of these things are very common, but everybody's different.
0: Have you looked into the game Sims at all?
1: Um, I've heard about it, yes. So and-
0: it's like creating a fake life and having... And I know a lot of people that do it, but that a lot of the reasons why some of those people... And I've played Sims, and it's one of my favorite games. But when you create this fake life, it's because there's pressures. When you're a kid, you're told like you... Got to get a job and you got to work really hard, get a career so you can have a wonderful life and a family and a beautiful house and all these types of things. Maybe that's my own childhood, but a lot of my friends have experienced similar conditions where I start going, is that applied pressure only going to create, you know, this type of daydreaming as well too? Because, you know, people want that perfect life. And if your life isn't exactly perfect, like the one you envisioned when you were a kid and you're going to be president and also astronaut, then you try and find ways to tweak it.
1: Oh, for sure. Like, you know, I, again, I read, cause I, I did some early research, but for a while I'm an attorney, but, but I went back to school to study psychology and I did do some research on maladaptive daydreaming. And so I had people send me a few paragraphs of their most common daydreams. And one was, you know, I remember very vividly, he was like, you know, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a famous surgeon and I make X amount of money or I'm like a pilot and I make X and like the, details of the dog
0: he's dreaming up 401ks <laughs> yeah, I,
1: was like, I was like the detail of it was really um fascinating but again everybody's daydreams are different whereas like my friend who's just got a fictional like universe in her head she's not in it at all like I, I think it, it meets different needs for different people um that reminded me something though I want to go a little bit back to the the to me the problem with the word daydreaming and, you know, there's, there was like uh, decades and decades ago, there was research that says that like 96% of humans daydream, right? But, and then, so when there was a case study about me at some point, anonymously, but a case study, um, and some of the feedback that, that we heard was that everyone daydreams, right? So like, and, and, and I think it was, it was 95% of people daydream it, and then like a huge percentage of thought for everybody is daydreaming. So this particular researcher said, there's like no such thing as too much. We all, we all daydream all day long. The problem though was the definition, right? They, in that, that science word, they use daydreaming and mind wandering to kind of mean the same thing, which is basically any off task thought, right? So that means like you're in the middle of class and you start thinking about like, what I want to eat for dinner right? Or you start thinking about your to-do list or like, you know, so most of us, our entire lives, our, you know, our mind is drifting to those things. Um, And that's why no one really like could take too much daydreaming that seriously. This is different, right? And back to that name, like this is more like that fantasy, the alternate universe you mentioned. So it's a very different thing. Um, And I I will remember this to this, Day, so again, dating myself. I grew up before the internet, right? Um, no one had heard of now that from daydreaming, it was no such thing. I spent I spent so much time reading psych books, trying to find like anything at all um, like me, and there was no such thing. And I remember like finally telling my parents I was seventeen, and they just laughed. They're like, daydreaming, like that's just you know that can't be a problem. And then years later, when I started doing the research, I showed my father some of the examples of people's daydreams without their names on it, of course. And my father just looked at it and he's like, oh my God, these people are batshit crazy. And I was like, "Wait, this is what I with You was there was nothing wrong with me." And he said, "Okay, but I didn't know you did this. Like, I would have driven you right to the mental hospital. Not that it is batshit crazy. But that it is not. Like I said, it could be absolutely totally fine. But my point is that I think when you just say the word daydreaming, nobody takes it too seriously, right?"
0: I, I think with future technology if they're implemented to some of this research you can make a virtual reality simulation that can make it as intense as what probably people are experiencing i think that's what people need if they don't necessarily have the serious intensity of it and if we figure out what the intensity is mine are pretty intense like i could tell you it's kind of like it, when you know someone wakes up from a dream and it's like like a nightmare type deal that's how some of my daydreams are they don't go bad it's just the intensity is very there so i feel like people need to experience that a little bit but is there any research on memory with that? I feel like a lot of people's daydreams, at least mine, sometimes I take a memory and I start kind of, you know, trying to, you know, just live in it a little bit, and I, that can be bad, um, only because you can mess with it and it can start to alter what that memory was. So when you try and recall it again, you know, if I'm talking to someone, I'm like, "There's this, this, this," and my buddy said, "We never met Michael Jordan." I was like hold on a minute. We were at the basketball game and Michael Jordan walked right by us. He goes, no, man, we've never, no, it's never happened. It's never happened. I'm like, oh God.
1: So that's interesting. I I mean, I think the first answer is, I don't know. One thing is pretty clear is that people generally don't confuse people not after daydreaming, don't generally like confuse their daydreams with reality. I'm not talking about memories, right? But you know, in general, they know that their daydreaming is just daydreaming, right? And so that's why it's not, you know, schizophrenia. It's not hallucinating. People know that they're daydreaming, but there's a different, you know, I mean, a, a different, I think, issue in that. And I haven't seen the research. Doctor Somer might might know if there's some, but I can see that that, you know, you're not fully paying attention to your real life, right? So that means you might less likely to remember because you weren't fully present and paying attention, right? So, um, so while it's not necessarily confusing daydreaming with reality, I think your your memories of reality um, are lacking, right? So you can therefore fill it in with secrets. I don't know if that made any sense, but- It, it did. Uh, you know, like, I mean, the way memory works is that, you know, the more present you are, the more likely you're gonna remember something. So if you're like, if you're only half paying attention, Um, your memory of it is not going to be so great. And then you might fill in some details.
0: Is there an area in particular for you that you would like to see more research in when it comes to maybe a specific, it could be a disorder or it could be just maybe any, even an age range, be able to test out, you know, are children experiencing this? You know, does it start early or is it something that just happens through someone's life? Could they be an adult and just randomly get it?
1: I mean, well, first of all, answer that. Most of the time it does happen young. I have not I don't think I've met too many people who had it, didn't didn't do something similar in childhood and young adulthood and then all of a sudden develops it in, in in an older age. Um not saying it's not possible. That's just not what I've seen. Um to start with, I just want it recognized, right? I want it in the DSM. I don't know if your listeners know what that is, but the book the, with all the psychological diagnoses it's not in that, right? So until it's in it, I don't even think that, that you know, enough people are taking it seriously. So let's start there. Um, and then I'd like to see treatment for the people who really want it, the people who think it's hindering their lives. There's really not, you know, because it's not a known entity, there's not a lot of studies about what works. And I get, I just get emails from people all over the world being like, this is ruining my life. Like I can't focus in school. I I have no friends because I, I, you know, my friends have all, you know, got rid of me because I don't go out with them. I prefer to stay home Um, and they want to stop and they just can't. So I, I would like to see some research on, um, on treatment. And I also hear from parents, parents around the world too, um, who see their children, and you know, we didn't discuss this, but a lot there a large percentage of people not active daydreaming use some sort of movement. I know you mentioned that, you know, it's when you work out. Um for some reason movement helps it. So sometimes, and I did this as a child, like kids are like spinning in circles and flapping their hands. And the parents don't like how that looks. Um and they're therefore um wanting to stop the child and I'm always like wait a second the fact that they're doing it how it looks does not necessarily mean it's a problem right it's a problem that if again all the things I said they're not focusing on school they're not making friends um but I do hear from parents all over the world being like why is my child spinning in circles and and what can I do to stop it
0: is when it comes to treatment options like what are some ideas like are we talking about focus therapy or someone can be able to like i know people talk about vision board and all that i don't necessarily do a vision board but i know being able to cast out your goals or things that you're supposed to do through your daily routine might be able to help you focus in um on list but that you know mind wandering is i've heard that before as well too it was an area i wanted to look into because i saw some similarities on some things um but it's That wording as well. I mean, that raising awareness on that in the first place, you'd have to change the name daydreaming because I, I even feel bad using it, but I don't, you know, it's there's just a stigma behind it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, almost in some ways, not a stigma, right? It's so innocuous. And so I feel bad for the people who really it's completely um, harm their lives and can't get anyone to take them seriously because daydreaming is such an innocuous innocuous thing i mean the name is here to stay that's fine but it just makes it harder for people to understand so i i actually if someone is seeking mental health care i always recommend that they don't walk in and say hey i'm now that daydreaming because you know it's not taught in any like psychological pattern you know it's not taught psychiatrist does not talk to mental health professionals because it's not in the DSM.
0: yeah but my doctor googles things sometimes when i'm in the room sitting with them so i feel like they could just look it up
1: that's smart right i actually wish more doctors could do it because google has more information on maladaptive daydreaming than a psychological like a class in psychology um but my recommendation is to go in and tell the person like you know i have these imaginary daydream models i know they're not real right you don't want to go to the other extreme and think you're psychotic. I know they're not real, um, but they're taking up more and more and more of my time. um, And I'm starting to prefer it to real life. And I'm starting to see that it's impacting my real life. And I think that way you can get a mental health professional to take you more seriously than if you just walk in and say, hey, I'm not daydreaming. Because if you do that, I mean, I've heard people told me they've gone in to see therapists or doctors. and The doctors are like, there's no such thing. And they'll be like, but I heard about it on a podcast or whatever. And they're like, don't believe everything you read, you know, on the Internet. So I think people really need to explain it. But that was not your question. The question was
0: about treatment, I think. Yeah, treatment options.
1: You know, so again, since it's the research is in its infancy, we don't exactly know. I think Dr. Sommer has shown some research that certain types of like cognitive behavior therapy can help Um, anecdotally, you know, anything that helps you stay present in the here and now. So like meditation, um, all those things can help. Um, Some people, medication has helped. For me, I ended up taking, you know, medication that's, you know, an SSRI, but that was um, typically prescribed with OCD or other compulsive thought. And that after like years and years and years and years of trying to stop this daydreaming, that's what worked for me, right? Other people, um, that medication didn't work and, and other medications did. There's there's no medication specifically to treat mild that daydreaming. Again, it's not. A legit, it's not a known entity at the moment, but what we do find is it often is coexists with other mental health conditions. I think you mentioned depression. Um, if you treat those other mental health conditions, the daydreaming may reduce. So in my case, like treating, I have a huge family of OCD, treating the OCD helps reduce the daydreaming. Someone else may be treating the depression can reduce the daydreaming. Uh, treating social anxiety can reduce the daydreaming. So right now, since there is no specific treatment for to daydreaming, that's what I recommend people do. They work on the coexisting mental health conditions.
0: Social anxiety, because the fact that that the escape from reality a little bit is more managed, kind of so similar, a little bit like OCD, but you don't have to necessarily, you know, you decipher that that's reality. This is my daydream, but in your daydream is more comfortable for you than it is in the public.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, certainly if you've got social anxiety and you don't like being around other people, escaping to a daydream world um, is a much more comfortable place, right? So I've heard many people with social anxiety who out out after daydreaming. I don't, you know, I never did. I never, you know, was always um, not anxious around people. For me, it was it was the compulsive nature. Like I would have a scenario in my head and I'd have to do it over and over and over again, Um to get it just right and it started to like again be frustrating and exhausting um so for everybody it's different but whatever what you know again whatever comorbid mental health some issues someone has working on those can help the data
0: when it comes to like research on a brain scan has that ever been tried before to see if there's an area that might light up or anything like that that could be like just some real you, solid did you, evidence
1: did you are you just asking that or did you read about it i'll tell you why I'm um
0: just generally did, asking that yeah
1: because oh, the the reason why i'm asking that is because i believe i am the only person on the planet who's had my brain waves read while daydreaming um I I could be wrong but as far as I know I'm the only person in the planet so I you know I did this case study years and years and years ago um anonymously right so my you know I I had my I begged my psychiatrist to write yeah I mean so I'll give you a little bit of history of like how I ended up getting my brainwaves read so for years and years and years I looked for anyone who would me. like me I would kind of like Surreptitiously asked friends when I was a kid, like, and hey, you know, to you daydreaming like this, no one no one knew what I was talking about. Finally, you know, around my twenties, I get on the OCD medication because my doctor was like, I've never heard of this, but you know, you have a family history of OCD, let's try it. And lo and behold, these daydream worlds went away in about six weeks. Still could daydreaming, but not compulsive. All right. So then I kind of forgot about the daydreaming. I have all these other like physical health issues that I became like, you know, obsessed about figuring out, forgot about the daydreaming. But then one day a friend called me who used to babysit me when I was little. Um, and she remembered me spinning in circles and being like, you know, I didn't know what the hell you were doing as a child. She's like, but my daughter is doing that too. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I never heard of another daydreamer. So I went to the internet and all of a sudden I found um, this was before any social media. I found though um, it was on a site about Indian parenting. Um, There was an article about kids who like daydream too much. The article itself was completely not on point. It was like, you know, kind of a kid doing mind wandering, just not paying attention. But the comments were hundreds and hundreds of people being like oh my god I spent hours pacing in circles um I feel like you know I like these worlds better my life I love these dating worlds but I feel like I'm addicted to them so I took that like I printed that out and took it to my psychiatrist and was like you have to write me up this case study because um a lot of these hundred people don't know about like the medication I'm taking like they need to know so he wrote me up as a case study. Back then I was, it was pretty early in my little career and mental health was not as destigmatized. So I um, did not have my name on the paper. Um, but then a reporter reached out and he wanted me to go public. And I just wasn't, you know, I feel bad. I was not ready to do so at the time. So that reporter was always not happy with me. But anyway, he introduced me to someone who studies people's, uh, a researcher, Dr. Malia Mason, who studies people's brain in an fMRI machine, which is like an MRI machine, but actually sees what areas of the brain lights up. Um, so I did that. They put me into this like MRI, like very, like, you know, look like an MRI where, you know, you can't move that much. And there were periods where they told me to daydream. And then there were periods to tell me not to daydream. Um, now I'm not a scientist. So I'm going to give you like what I remember in a very Non scientific way, what the results were. Um, but the first thing that researcher, her specialty was mind wandering. So she thought I'd be a very, very high mind wandering. Remember back a little earlier in the conversation, mind wandering is more like off oh, task. Not, yeah, not, task not. Yeah. yeah. So what she found was I actually was not mind wandering. My mind wandering happened in the periods where they told me not to daydream. When I was daydreaming, it was more looked like purposeful, constructed thought with imagery, very different from mind wandering. And then the way she described it to me was the reward center of the brain, like the area of the brain that like would light up if you were showing like a drug addict, picture of their drugs or like a gambling addict, you know, a casino. That's the area that lit up when I was daydreaming. Those are expensive. I do not believe that's ever been repeated. I don't know if she even published that data. Um, So it has not. I mean, I think, I think you know, we need, that needs to be done. And we also need to, we have to have it compared to like maybe anybody who enjoys a good daydreaming reward center would light up. I don't know, right? Like, so we need to look at like what someone who thinks they amount after daydreaming versus someone who doesn't, what the difference there would be.
0: I think people just need to know the severity of what it does. Like, it's weird because in society, from what I've learned and from what I've talked to and kind of looked at has been, it's been focused on a condition or disorder that doesn't just hurt oneself, but harms others. And that's kind of been like at the top of the list. And then the stuff that's now getting recognized and the stuff that's slowly getting recognized is stuff that's more self-destructive. I know addictions up there, but like ADHD, things that weren't necessarily considered before, it's been a slow process. Because I mean, when you talk about someone destroying their own life and they just go like, oh, you need to go with, like someone to help you figure out your inner whatever. And then they'll but this is like, I mean, if you have a disorder or if it's just this type form of daydreaming that's causing you to literally lose friends, maybe even lose jobs, um, lose any ambition to want to go explore anything. I mean, you can't have people in their 20s that are getting diagnosed with depression when really they're just like laying down and being in their little world. I mean. I I just, when it comes to raising awareness, what, like, what's, I mean, has social media platforms, have you noticed people having conversations about this a little bit more like TikTok? I never recommended until I came across ADHD stuff. And then I saw some stuff on maladaptive daydreaming, but I I wonder if that's giving more education and taking out the little bit of the stigma of it.
1: So what's interesting, you asked like such good questions, because what's interesting is social media is way ahead of researchers, like, this is, this is, Maladabjadraming is a very good example of a community that found each other online, right? At a time where science and researchers said, there's no such thing, right? And to this day, um, there is often more correct information on social media than there is if you go to a mental health professional. And it's very, it's frustrating because I, I certainly can't, you know, as a, as a responsible adult, I can't say, you know, go get your mental health advice on TikTok, right? But the reality is, is there might be more accurate information on TikTok than any, you know, doctor is going to know other than Dr. Sommer and a handful of researchers. So I was really upset on um, I don't know how long, maybe a year ago, the Wall Street Journal came out with an article um, saying, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, don't quote me on that, but they came out with an article saying that young girls were diagnosing themselves with rare disorders on TikTok and what an awful thing that was. Um, And it isn't a great thing, right? But if a parent was to do the responsible thing and take their child to a doctor after, they said, hey, I saw this on TikTok, I think I have it. Um, the doctor, and I've heard this from people, the doctors have said, there's no such thing. Don't believe everything, you, you know, you see on TikTok. But yet, like, you know, I've done some uh, work on TikTok, like explaining the research Dr. Somer has, like right now, there's more information on TikTok. And I feel like that article should have been rewritten, as saying young girls are getting blown off by doctors. So they feel like they have no choice but to turn to TikTok.
0: No, I'm not a I'm not a big advocate for ADHD medications. Um, I just say like it's that's not everybody's choice. I get it works. I'm not I understand, but I entered that world with ADHD researchers and got immediately pushed back from some of the older researchers because there is plenty of good evidence to support. I was like, yes, but I'm 25, and you're asking me to try it now. I just don't. There's got to be a way I can hone this about myself if it's about me. And I think you know, it's there's there's a resistance to a lot of stuff that, like, if it's on social media, like they always talk about ADHD and social media has been like the worst thing, people giving advice on there. I was like, Yeah, well, of course, you're gonna have people with individual experiences and things of that sort, but it's not necessarily about it, but it's at least raising awareness about it and kind of educating it. I mean, if more of society that doesn't experience this starts coming across this in their algorithm feeds, then now you're getting awareness about the certain subject. You know, they might not experience it, but least they can educate. I mean, for me, a better thing would have been just educating others on what I'm experiencing. So I just don't look like I'm just trying to be annoying on purpose. You know, like it's those similar things. You can see the same thing with this form of daydreaming is if people can understand like, okay, there's what I do. And then there's what some other people do. And I should be able to understand that more. And maybe when a person's kind of zoning out, there's a specific reason I can maybe find some similar ways to connect to help pull them back from it a little bit. Not take them away from their escape, but just tell them, like, hey, we can do something that could be similar or fun as well. Too. And maybe they don't want to spend so much time in there to the point where they can actually experience the real world. So you don't wake up and be like, oh my God, it's what if I'm 40 years old and I did this or something like that. You know, like it's not I'm not saying anything bad about that. I'm just saying experiencing you don't want to miss out on those experiences which there's a lot of fomo out there already so i have to feel like it's even worse with people that you know tend to want to just live in their own realities to them it's fun it's fun for me but at the same time i get moments where i'm like if i would have did that or if i would have did this but instead I what i do i spent my saturday sitting inside the house and just staring up at the popcorn ceiling that i have you know the ceiling that has like the rivets in the top of it
1: you know like people would say is it you know a lot of people spend all Saturday playing video games, which isn't great for you either. And they'll be like, well, is that a disorder? I mean, honestly, at this point, I'm thinking that like some people do have video game addictions. I don't know. Um, all I can say is for me, like the first half of my life, I was dealing with this. And the so the second half so far, I have not been. And in my life, I've been much more content. Like it's just... You know this, this not feeling this compulsive need to like, you know, always have my mind in two different places, um, is it's just I'm a much happier person because of it. So for me, it was, you know, I, I think it was important to get to get the help and to work on it.
0: Um, in, but there are a lot. Okay, oh, yeah, I was say it's interesting to me that there's that, that stigma though with the researchers because look at YouTube. How many people don't have a dad that learned how to change their oil in their car from YouTube? And we don't even bother looking at that. It's like, oh, that's just YouTube. Don't trust that. So it's like if social media, I mean, if you were a kid, when you were a kid and you would have saw something like social media that would have gave you a template or gave you some just basic things to find you to connect to somebody else that might be experiencing similar things or just be able to give you some guidance and tips that's helping out in their own life. As long as it's not anything like life threatening, obviously, but you know, if it's something like, Hey, when you wake up maybe, or before you go to bed, try some water or try something or something like that, that could be so simple that could have helped you out in the long run as well, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, now we're getting a little far from now that daydreaming, but I am finding like that the world is like kind of just dividing between like social media is so, so important, but then science and researchers are like, no, that's terrible, right? It's not just been without active daydreaming. I've had some health issues in my life where, you know, I got better answers from support groups on the internet than I did with doctors. And I've tried to show the doctors these websites and they're like, no, 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 that's not science. I'm like, it might not be science, but when thousands and thousands of people are saying that they're experiencing the same thing, that means something. And at least that should be something that science looks at. Um, but, you know, there's this, everything's about social media. And then you have these people like in science and academia who like, you know, that's garbage.
0: Has there been research to show if there's a certain gender that might experience this form of daydreaming more than the other?
1: You know, that's a good question for Dr. Somer. I would have initially said women more, but I've heard both. So I really don't, I don't know.
0: Most of the comments I've come across that happen to deal with like this form of daydream, they've been mostly seem like women. So to, to me, I was just like, I don't know. I haven't come I mean, across a lot of guy experiences.
1: I, I definitely have heard more. I've heard both, but I've heard more women, but I, I wonder if the women just talk about it more. Right. Like, you know, so I'm not. I'm not really sure because um, actually when it comes to like parents of kids, it's been a lot of, there's been a lot of little boys. So maybe it's, you know, as, as kids grow up, the boys don't want to talk about it as much. I don't know.
0: And don't much. Have you like, I mean, future goals when it comes to besides raising awareness, but like a site dedicated to being able to have like a community forum or things of that sort yeah. to be able to share and exchange.
1: Oh yeah. So this is exciting news. So Dr. Somer. Um, has and researchers, a, advocates are, um, around the world, and I am one of them, are forming a new nonprofit, uh, a, regarding a, like a global nonprofit for maladaptive daydreaming, um, the International Society for Maladaptive Daydreaming, and we should be launching soon. Um, and the whole goal there is to raise awareness, both among the public, but also among researchers, to get people to to take it more seriously so that is right now there's tons of like there's tons of chat rooms there's tons of websites but there's nothing that's from professionals that kind of tries to bridge that gap between researchers and 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 people who suffer from it so we're really excited that should be happening in a we've been working on it for like a year but it should be launching in a couple months
0: do you find that a lot of people come out anonymously about it just because it's they don't want to put their name to something in case they get labeled a certain way
1: yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I certainly, that's how I was uh for a long time. I do feel like these days people are are, you know, realizing that everybody has something and it's just a lot. Mental health is just much is more discussed than it used to be. Um, when I first came out in that Atlantic piece, lots of reporters wanted to talk to like other people, not at their daydreaming. And I, I it was almost impossible to find people to want to go publicly um now like there's lots of people doing it and I think that's just because you know we're living in an age where people are talking about mental health which is a really good thing and for like things that you're doing you know like this podcast so thank you right any you know you're talking about the ADHD you're talking about your daydreaming like that all of that helps um and I think it is getting less and less destigmatized
0: you think with the younger generation of doctors that will probably be hitting the fields a little bit more, you'll have more a little bit of that openness to these types of ideas as well too and these types of – I mean just open-mindedness when it comes to – Coming across something that someone might have researched and be able to look into. I see that with a lot of the older ones I talk to, but some of the newer ones, like if I talk to someone who's my age or someone maybe a little bit older, um, they tend to like, like, oh, yeah, well, this is actually this. And like, that's funny. No one really that I've talked to about like neuropsychology or anything like that has ever mentioned that before, but they've always been a little bit older.
1: Yeah, I think it's getting better. You know, I still think they drill in. You, you know, a lot of friends and family who are doctors or. You know, I think they still drill into your head about like science, science, science and like to ignore kind of what they call anecdotal evidence. Um, But I am seeing for sure, like, I think, I don't know if we were talking earlier or recent, like just Googling, right? Like, you know, like, Doctors should feel comfortable Googling because there, there's not only at this point on mild after daydreaming, not only are there those chat rooms, there are at least now 50 real research articles. So if a doctor would just take the time to like Google it, they would see that there's real research, real empirical research. And just because it's not yet in the DSM doesn't mean it's not real. Um, and I am hopeful that we're getting a new generation of doctors that that are more willing to like, so, look things up.
0: I wonder if PubMed or someone will do would do a study. Do you have any backers or anybody that would fund like from an organization or an institution that would be able to put a lot of money behind an actual study to maybe get a more publicized paper out there? I know there's fifty, but, you know, one yeah. that hits the real headlines of the whole scenario.
1: I mean, I think doctors like Sumer and they're working on, you know, getting, much bigger research grants there's been some right and that there now that there's those 50 articles um but there certainly has not been enough right and there's just not you know i get emails from people all the time asking for people who specialize it i'm like gotta go to israel or now i know someone in brazil like you know there's no one in the united states why
0: is that why is that
1: Um, I just think it's like, you know, look, Dr. Somer landed on something and you got to give him so much credit because he was willing to, you know, use the Internet sites when when people in the field were like, no, that's not science. Um, So he started it and I think he started research, like uh, reaching out to colleagues and got some more colleagues on board. But I just don't think there's been a a, a researcher, a doctor in the U.S. who's who's taken that on. Hopefully, hopefully they will at some point. yeah
0: absolutely jane Jane, i appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show about this and hopefully you know this might educate some people on um maladaptive daydreaming at least to look it up i mean it doesn't hurt i was googling for a little while like probably a couple weeks ago and i was really trying to figure out what this was and if i was experiencing it or not uh but i appreciate the time you gave me and the work that you're doing as well too but is there a place where people can find your links
1: yeah, I can actually send them to you. I do have a TikTok related to Maladaptive Daydreaming and we have a newsletter actually that's pretty cool. That it's, it's written by people from the Maladaptive Daydreaming community for people. And it's got it's all about like how to thrive and live with Maladaptive Daydreaming. So I, I can share some links with that for you.
0: Yeah, send me your TikTok because I'll follow it for sure. Um, and, I'll, and I'll link all your links in the description. Like I said, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.